Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of Accounted Web's No Accounted for Taste, a podcast for accountants. I'm Richard Hatsley, the editor of the site. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're discussing Zoom fatigue, the extended furlough scheme, Uber and Eat Out to help out penalties. Joining me today, we have an expert panel. Up first is a man who needs no introduction, but let's give him one anyway. It's Accounted Web's Editor-in-Chief, John Stockdyke. Hi, John. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me again. I am always gratified when you ask me back. <laughs> and in Accountant's Corner today is someone who is no stranger to this fine podcast. He first joined us all the way back in the heady days of episode two. It's Matt Port, the owner of Port & Co. Hi, Matt. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, so as mentioned there, you first joined us on the podcast in episode two. Now we're all the way into episode 70-something these days. So what have you been doing for the last 70 episodes? Fill us in. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, it seems like a very long time ago. It's GDPR, if I remember rightly. So um, we managed to survive a, a dry topic and uh, we've kept listeners. So, um, yeah, we've uh, in that time, we've grown significantly. Um, I've actually moved up from Somerset to London in that time where we've been working with a, uh, a more uh, early stage business um, sort of group. And um, actually, it's been so long that I'm on my way back to Somerset <laughs> again. So uh, yeah, I've been moving out twice in that time. Yeah, Metropolis must be a, um, uh, a very odd place when, when it all goes into lockdown, when all the 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 thrills and spills that maybe attracted you there are no longer available. Yeah, well, it was actually a, an interesting one. It probably comes into to lead, a good segue into the first topic that I was spending so much time traveling from uh, Somerset to London um, that I, I came home and my uh, my she wasn't my wife then, but she is now said to me, uh, "Oh, you might as well we might as well bloody move to London." Um, and I said, oh, "Okay, let's do it," and we did. And now we're doing everything by Zoom. I spend more time traveling back to Somerset to, to see friends and family. So, yeah, the Zoom's changed that, the way we work. So, um, yeah, hopefully all the better. Let's, let's move on into the, uh, the big stories of over the past seven days on the counter web. Now the introduction's over and done with. It's the fifth most read article on the site as you uh, segue there, Matt. This one um, was about workaholics, but um, this time it was about accountants working from home and has turned them into stressed workaholics, says uh, contributor Philip Fisher. This is not healthy. It will undoubtedly lead to additional stress at a time when we all have much to worry about already. Matt, would you... We, we've heard about your trip from uh, back and forth, which did sort of eat away at your your work-life balance. But are you finding the days are now just consumed with just work now you're having to work from home? Yeah, it's something I've actually been thinking about a lot myself and, and um, trying to create boundaries. Um, I mean... I'm using the phrase more and I, I don't I didn't invent it but living at work um, rather than working from home because I think it more accurately reflects life at the moment you just don't have that segregation we live in an always-on um, culture um, and you know that's just increasing so yeah I I have found myself slipping into in, into that 
kind of scenario that is just described there and um, the accounts have got so much work to do at the moment as well in digesting um, you know we receive the updates at the same time everyone else does but then the next morning your inbox is going to be full saying what does this mean for me um, so yeah there's there has been extra work created but I just think the always on culture and nature of the fact that we haven't got a lot else to do with our spare time means we're just diving headfirst into work. John, you're a seasoned remote worker, and uh, I think you've mentioned on this uh, fine podcast before about some of your tips and tricks. But um, how have you found um, the that that process? Have you, was it something kind of easy for you just to uh, um, put no, those boundaries well, in? I mean, I have come back on the front line of accounting web, and and, and dare I say, since I've done that, I, I, my my main tip is always that you know you need to show some discipline when you work from home, and and it, and it becomes the discipline of knowing when to step away. You know, actually having a bit of structure, and if and, and working nine till five thirty, say, and 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 clocking off and switching off so that you give yourself your brain a bit of rest. You know, that was always my my outlet and I would work pretty regular hours and I'd have my coffee at 11 and all of that, that sort of thing, just to keep the day ticking over. Uh, but I, you know, like the accountants we serve, um, we've been on a, a switch back of late arriving guidance and surprise announcements from the government. And, uh, in the number of times, you know, you ha we always work to deadlines as journalists, but you know, you're having to put down your, your main project you're working towards because Hey presto, the Chancellor's getting up in in the Commons in in an hour's time, and there's going to be another economic statement and another twist to the furlough scheme. So, you know, we we have to get we try and get the word out as quick as we can. Then we're like you, Matt, waiting for the detailed guide guidance to arrive. That uh, you know, the day we're recording this, I think the Chancellor announced the extension. Um, just uh, was it two weeks ago and uh, more the guidance actual detail guidance i think dropped last night you told us uh, just before we went we started this matt so it, it's you know the, the the consecutive announcements overlapping and overtaking guidance you know the need to to get the information out as rapidly as possible we feel it too and, and my definitely my own work well i do live at work uh, but it's been bleeding the days have been getting longer and and you know the 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 uh, gas tank is getting emptier because of it. Here's something we are seeing on any answers: number of uh, uh, a number of questions with the headline of "I'm exhausted" and, and many people saying similar things. So it is, as you said, John, the the gas tank is getting empty, and uh, unfortunately, self assessment season is just around the corner as yeah. well. Richard, could can I just? Stop and you know I want to turn the spotlight on our self-effacing presenter here because actually I'd, I'd like to sort of very briefly salute all the work you've done in this area. I mean, you've been writing about well-being for more than a year now, so since kind of last summer, you know, summer of 2019, and we saw it being picked up in the sort of leading edge firms, maybe those like Matt's, um, you know, who, who did. Pick, and it was more a recruitment issue. You know, you had to treat and keep your staff happy and well because you know it's really hard replacing them in that context. Uh, things changed this year, and it was, you know, there there was some real direct threats to their health. So obviously that it's been big all this year. But what's really noticeable this October uh, is is you know we've been writing about well-being, and you have particularly all this time, and the traffic has been increasing, but. We just so I looked at the figures uh, for October, and 
accountants are actually talking about it amongst themselves and any answer is more now. Like it, it's kind of doubled two or three times more than that actually in the past couple of months. So that's a big cultural difference. And, and, you know, at least it's a healthy one. If, if people, you, you aren't alone and it is good to share. So, so a lot of that's down to you. So, so thank you on, on the listeners and readers behalf, but uh, Matt, I don't know, are you, have you part of the talking more openly about, mental health and well-being of, the, of your people especially in the remote setting yeah definitely I mean I I felt guilty in some ways because I've, I've kind of had to say do as I say not as I do um, because it's been very difficult um, you know as, as, as the leader of a, a growing firm to actually make sure and make time for yourself to um, rest and, and recover but yeah we've we talk about it actively um, and about six weeks ago, I'd felt that the time was right for me to, um, to effectively get a coach in this area because um, you can't control the environment that you're, you know that we're we're living and working in, but you can control your reaction to it. Um, and you know, as long as we we have these issues, and maybe some of them will become permanent with the with the increase in Zoom calls, etc. I think we just need to learn how better to respond and to create boundaries. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm all up for, for talking it and for sharing experiences because it's all new to all of us. Well, Matt, you mentioned there Zoom calls and that brings us on to our fourth most read story. And this was a piece by Lucy Cohen who shared her experience of coming to terms with Zoom fatigue after a day full of recruiting for a new uh, member of a full four here firm. Um, this is something which actually goes hand in hand with that uh, last topic we were talking about. Um, being in front of the computer for a, a significant amount of time, just talking to people over Zoom rather, in, rather than in person, it obviously has an effect on people's mental health. As Lucy mentioned in the piece, she put her Zoom fatigue down to that extra energy you have to expend to get your enthusiasm across and the lack of quotes, feel of a person. I know that's not very sciencey, she said, but during a face-to-face meeting, you definitely get a sense of a person from all the subtle non-verbal communications that accompany our speech. That's what, that is somewhat lost over Zoom, and it makes the overall experience more tiring trying to replace it with words. And I know before the pandemic, there was a lot of firms talking about how um, the geographic barriers have been lowered because of video conferencing, and so they're able to uh, pick up clients from across the country, um, mainly down to things like cloud computing and, and um, video conferencing. But now the, the, the backlash is sort of starting. It feels like as Zoom has taken over our lives and what was once a novelty has now become this annoying aspect of our life. Matt, how are you coping with, with this? Um, yeah, well, I agree, you know, it is an issue. Um, and through part of the um, analysis I've been doing about how I respond to these things, I, I've set aside two days a week um, where I do not have any Zoom calls. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest factors was the fact that you, you know, you jump in and out of calls and, it, and it's very hard to do your, your deep work. So that's what I set those calls aside for but also I just find on those days it's just so nice to think oh god I don't have to speak to anyone today on on zoom it's uh I agree with the point Lucy makes about um you know getting the positive feelings from from seeing people in person but I I would have also think there's there's just a, a greater number of calls and probably shorter calls um but people just know you're there 
So it's, you know, it's so easy just to be like, okay, right, can we have a 15 minute call? You might get through as much content as you did in a normal hour meeting, but you're just condensing that really. Hmm. And um, did you you get a different experience just through the, um, a face-to-face meeting compared to a a Zoom call? How how does that change uh, uh, those client relationships? Yeah, it's... um... Uh, I was thinking about this from reading Lucy's article because I hadn't really thought about it a great deal before then. Um, I think perhaps it depends on the person you're meeting um, and if you've met them before. So there are people who I've met in person several times and you know before uh, um, before lockdown, and I tend to find that you've almost got that personal relationship with them. But then with people you haven't met before, perhaps you have to be more mindful of how you come across, you know, because you haven't got your body language. Um, and yeah, I think that can be a bit, a bit harder work. Yeah. I mean, uh, Richard, I, I have done remote kind of coordination for a long time um, and, and probably have some awful habits you know, that you're aware of, uh, like I am now sort of diversions and, distractions and, and odd you know things that pop I'll say things that pop into my head so probably create a terrible impression um, but but when you get you know if with team members you, you know you get into the groove you know each other you you know we you can if not quite ask what you know how the football team's doing or what you you know what did you think of the movie last night or, or as we're doing this week catching up with the bake-off intrigue um, so, so you, you you can't but you know you can get through that and manage that so so I think it's it's adapting for for your own internal coordination uh business development uh has as matt or and, and client service say matt you're more attuned to that and i think you said some really good things there about the image you know not the image how you're perceived and that and how you present yourself so so and that can be stressful you know if you're all you know if you're it's it's like it kind of dealing with a client or a prospect shouldn't have to be like a performance probably i would i would sort of worry that if you have to put on your zoom face uh and your zoom shirt and your your special background you know that that's going to you know you may not it, it just yeah it may not come as that feel as natural it may take more effort on your part to get the ideas across um but i'll just go back ultimately to my my feel the personal feeling because i'm someone who is on screen huge portions of the week already uh, and then family friends music quizzes you know so much of our social life's happening on zoom that really wears me out because i can put in eight hours a day in front of the screen and then the prospect of another two or three in the evening uh, <laughs> i definitely have to have my zoom detox or, or I, I really <laughs> would go spare and, and that, i completely agree with you thinking about the idea of thinking thank god i don't have to talk to anyone today <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, that definitely is a something we can i can identify with uh so the, the the previous two stories we've talked about have been about uh stress and our next story i think has been probably the biggest contributor to stress this year um, it is, of course, the big beast that is the coronavirus job retention scheme, which has been extended yet again, as we've discussed on on previous episodes of this podcast. Um, Matt, you 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 have a, a specialist payroll uh, part of your firm. Um, how have you just dealt with the the never ending soap opera of uh, CGRS and the the news of uh, of an extension which? 
came about 10 minutes before uh, Strictly Come Dancing a week or so ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that the the real detail, um, I've got a, a team of great people who, who get into that. Of course, I need to be across the uh, the general principles so that I can advise clients. But um, I mean, I've got to be honest, I was feeling a little bit smug about um, CJRS3 um, because the, of course, we had before that, we had the job support scheme one and the job support scheme two, whichever actually never became live. Um, and I just, in the end, didn't bother doing any research about the job support scheme one because I just thought this is just wholly inadequate. It's never gonna, it's never gonna float. It'll be gone in a couple of weeks, and then they, they made it slightly more generous, and then they got rid of it um, in its entirety. So yeah, I, I guess I was um, a bit fortunate to have taken that position and got away with that. But you know that, you know, when we talk about coronavirus job retention scheme three, we have to remember that actually there were another two schemes that people had to try and get all across the detail to advise their clients about. Um, you know, so we're actually on the fifth iteration really for accountants. Um, and I welcome the move. I mean, one of the things which I was really disappointed with was that the fact that they took away um, in entirety the, uh, the job bonus, uh, the job retention bonus for a thousand pounds because We'd, we'd done a lot of work with clients advising following on from the 31st of October how they could restructure their workforce and then have that bonus to subsidise um, bringing people back from furlough to actually be contributing to the business, contributing to the economy. And yeah, so for one, you know, there was like 20 people in not a huge business that were going to be coming back and that's going to be 20k that they haven't got to have people in their business. So perversely, they're more motivated to put the people back on furlough than they would have been to keep them productive so um yeah I'll just step in on the chancellor's behalf which is something i don't say very often <laughs> uh, i did listen to the speech and I, I think the phrasing was very nuanced about you know it won't be needed over the period of the um of the latest uh, extension but i think very much it will be in review and they will consider you know what to do with the bonus when when it comes to an end so uh, I wouldn't, you know, bank on that twenty grand arriving in April, but um, it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility that it that it could come back and be available then. Oh yeah, I'm expecting it to come back. I I suppose I mean the point is if um, people have assumed that they were going to get say twenty k in February and that was going to help subsidise to actually have their staff working across November, December, January. And now that 20k isn't there to subsidise their working salaries, it's not, there's a natural inclination to say, well, we're better off putting our staff on furlough, which I think is not a great um, measure for the government um, to be proposing. So I appreciate there are challenges with the fact that we, we can't just pay a bonus when everyone's going to be on furlough, but I feel like there was an opportunity missed to do something a little bit more uh, innovative around that. And Matt, the so CGRS three, as as Kate Upcraft called it within this article, as you said, we've we've had several other iterations along the way. Um, that officially comes into place. Correct me if I'm wrong. On the first of November, we're recording today um, on the eleventh, and we had the fresh guidance out the night before. So it's, it's still an evolving beast, isn't it? 
It is. Um, yeah, sorry, I digressed slightly um, on my soapbox previously. Um, but yes, it is. And there was some interesting guidance that came out last night, um, as always. And one of the things which um, I think may trip some businesses up um, when HMRC come come calling reviewing these is the need to basically get get the furlough confirmed with with the uh, the employees and and really that that should be documented and it and the guidance says that you should keep that for five years. So you know I think um, as we see more and more audits because this is an unprecedented amount of taxpayer money that's been issued, uh, actually keeping the records to to prove you are entitled to that claim is going to be crucial. Um, but there was a really interesting point as well um, that, that sneaked in into this scheme is that um, from December, uh, HMRC are going to be publishing the names of all of the employers who are taking part in the scheme. Fascinating. So um, will, will this add some name and shame aspect, do you think, to some of the, the, the big businesses who are, have people on, on failing? What do you think the ramifications of this will be? Uh, I think probably for smaller businesses, you know, it's not going to be, you know, particularly um, of concern. I think it is there for those for those larger businesses. Um, yeah, as you say, to actually make sure the, the public are aware um, which people are using using the scheme. Um, but yeah, I, I want. Sorry, go ahead. It's pro- probably a minor sort of fraud prevention element there too. Is you know, if you're an employee is a bit suspicious that you know <laughs> your your employer might might might, you know, might be pocketing some money even though you're continuing to work I mean, you could you could uh, go check you know the, the the list and just if you you know confirm one way or the other but uh, i don't think that's a significant deterrent or uh, thing but uh, again i'm <laughs> I'm putting all the case for the government's case for these measures. No, I I was just about to say the same thing. I think that is the case. Um, um, that actually, yeah, the theory is okay. Well, we know everyone in that business is working, you know, at full capacity. They're busier than they've ever been. Why are they using the furlough scheme? Are they actually using the furlough scheme? So, um, yeah, I think that will be a part of the thinking. Interesting stuff. And Matt, you mentioned there about your premonition that the job support scheme wasn't going to be uh, up to snuff anyway and it would likely not not come to fruition so you, you, you've got um, good credit there as being a good prognosticator so what's your feelings over the next couple of months do you think there's going to be further changes to CGRS scheme or is this now set until till March well, what's your gut saying um well, the, the, we've obviously just received the news about a potential vaccine as we record this today as well. So I think that will be a big factor, you know, if that's giving people confidence to get back. The government have said they'll review it in, in January. I think um, I think the employees will see the 80% through to, you know, to the end of March. Um, but, I, you know, I'd very much expect, and I think actually Rishi did say that they would be looking to, to see employers contribute Um you know, at some point, so probably in in February and March, we'll see a return to potentially employers um, contributing 10, 20% towards the uh, salary on top of the national insurance and pension charge um, for the hours not worked. Interesting stuff. Well, you heard it here first. We'll we'll revisit this again next year and see whether you're correct, Matt. Um, Let's move on to our second most read story, this one. Um, was the news that HMRC is reported to have raised 
a 1.5 billion VAT assessment for Uber in the UK. Uh, Neil Warren investigated just how Uber is likely to respond. John, we've, we've seen this is sort of like an ongoing saga with Uber, isn't it? Yeah, well, um, I was trying to work out the, you know, we, we think this has been picked up by a mobile news service that so gave it a bit of an extra boom. Oomph. So the, um, you know, the doings of the large um, tech giants and, and their their relationship to the tax systems in local jurisdictions is you know is quite a sort of hot button for for a lot of readers um, and you know, probably a lot of uber representatives so um, you know we think we think we might have caught some attention there but um, you know the, the I mean it's 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 linked to employment status as well which is something that's quite a a thorn and you know so, so there's a there's a theoretical aspect to it for and, and practical aspect for for practitioners but um yeah I, th I think there's a little bit of it just schadenfreude let's you know <laughs> we, we haven't don't, don't seem to raise a lot with the digital services tax and and uh you know people maybe uh enjoy a bit of taste seeing at least you know hmrc sticking it to a big multinational although you know there's a lot I think there's going to be a long road between HMRC raising the assessment and actually collecting. But as I say, so I think it's just a, I wouldn't call it political froth, but I'm just intrigued to see it jump so high up our charts. We, we may have to cover more multinational digital tax uh, <laughs> strategy pieces in the future. Matt, have you been caught up in the um, ever-going Uber saga? Um yeah, I I keep abreast of the sort of international taxation and the the OECD um, plans for for taxing the digital economy and you know the large multinational um, entities. And I think you know I, while I wouldn't profess to be a VAT expert to the detail of this case, I mean I fully support the stance of HMRC um, you know pushing for this. It's I do understand the principles of. Um, you know, self-employment the you know just providing providing that work but you know it, as i understand uber that they're, they're controlling and influencing that workforce um and vat is value added tax they are adding value on top of those drivers um and yeah as a consumer of uber if, if they were just charging VAT on the services half my journeys would be business half private so i'd reclaim half of it anyway and i just think yeah they they probably should be adding VAT to this. So yeah, I think it's, you know, it speaks to the the mindset of, um, you know, these these large multinational corporates to actually try and, you know, evade almost tax, um, you know, by by structuring their engagements, um, you know, very, very stringently. Uh, if you'll permit me a little plug, Matt, if you really are a fan of the OECD's um, profit sharing, uh, anti-profit, you know, measures to deal with profit sharing and transfer pricing, I can commend you. Heather Self wrote us an analysis that we published uh, just this week all about the uh, consultations going on. And she, she's given a very, mm -hmm. very clear and comprehensive analysis there. So it's a real, really good aid memoir if you, you want to study that any further. Mm -hmm. Was that the uh, the pillar one and the pillar two proposals? Indeed, it is. Yes, I have read that one already, and I can recommend it. <laughs> Thank you. That's one for everyone listening to uh, check. Yeah, let's out see if well. we can talk it into the chart for next time. <laughs> I think that'll be a struggle, but just uh, given how topical things are at the moment, but yeah, definitely worth a read. 
so, Matt, we, we, we now move on to our most read story of the past seven days. And this one is um, that restaurants will have to re repay overclaimed eat out to help out payments or else they'll be dished a penalty. Uh, this is the ever going um, claw back of some of these uh, schemes. We, we've had it with the CGRS and the SEISS. Um, so what's your, your feelings on, on this? Yeah, well, I think um, obviously this is a scheme that has now ended. And I think people may may think, oh, this is not relevant to me. It's only for restaurants. But I think it speaks to HMRC's approach to um, the fraud that they perceive may have existed um, through these various grant schemes. And uh, so, yeah, I think this approach will be followed then for the various furlough schemes. And, and as I've read and understand i think they are really targeting fraud here rather than honest mistakes um yeah so i think you know that's you know, obviously hopefully everyone listening to this has has done the right thing but it, it does say that there will be some scrutiny on on these funds that have been issued i mean I've, I've, we were blown away by how how popular this was i think again it's gone gone viral for us a little bit um and again, I'm I just have to think it, it kind of caught a bit of the mood of disillusionment with the eat out scheme. I mean, I think if a week or before or two before this was um, published, uh, people were beginning to wonder whether it had actually contributed to helping to spread uh, the virus and sort of fueling the second wave uh, that we're now uh, back in lockdown. So you know that was strike one, and of course uh, the the image that's been mentioned over and over of subsidising posh people's dinners out at restaurants while the government's dragging its feet on subsidizing free school meals for for disadvantaged school children um you know not a good look either so um uh, what is what's silver i can't remember who said it but you know they say every chancellor you know chancellorship ends in failure you know um and i'm just wondering if if maybe eat out to help out was kind of the point at which um rishi sunak lost that magic touch but uh He'll now probably go on to become the next prime minister. But uh, as I say, I, I do think, you know, it, it, everybody loved him for a period, but, you know, certainly accountants have lost their pay. We, we talked about that in our last podcast, how how frustrating it now is to deal with these these um, sudden switches of strength. You know, as I say, your cynical response to the job support scheme was probably the pinnacle of all and, you know, the best survival technique I've heard yet, although may not cut too much ice as a long-term strategy to ignore the Chancellor. <laughs> no, um, certainly. And yeah, I share those um, uh, those observations. Yeah, this, I mean, even if it's not the spread in the restaurants, but, you know, the, the, the mindset of people that, OK, it's over now, we can go back and get to normal. The government are telling us to, to get back to normal. I think, you know, on a, you know, on a subliminal less level that that must have had an impact, if nothing else. Well, I, I must mention uh, a comment which was posted underneath the article. Who the post equipped and will the government pay 50% of the penalties if they're paid between Monday and Wednesday? So uh, hats off to that member for that, that quip that did make me smile. Uh, well, thank you very much, Matt. Thank you, John, for joining us today. That's all we've got time for on this edition of No Account for Taste. Matt, where can we find out a little bit more about yourself and Port Income? Uh, our website's probably the best place. That's www.portport.co.uk. That's it. Don't forget that extra tea. 
And uh, for all your information on the world of accountancy, please join us as ever on accountweb.co.uk. And you'll be able to read all those stories which we discussed on today's podcast. But until the next episode, bye for now. <laughs>